Discover FX's Shogun, the official podcast available now. Every legend begins with a story. Listen and explore episode by episode the story of war, passion, and power set in feudal Japan. Join host Emily Yoshida each week with the creators, cast, and crew in this exclusive companion podcast. They dive deep into the twists and turns of the plot, go behind the scenes, and explore the real-life history that informed the limited series based on James Clavell's best-selling novel. Search FX's Shogun wherever you listen to podcasts. Tax season is approaching, bringing potential extra cash your way. Rather than spending it all on an expensive deal filled with yada yada from your current wireless plan, consider switching to Metro by T-Mobile for no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada you don't take yada yada in life don't take yada yada from your wireless provider metro by t-mobile has no contracts no credit checks no surprises and nada yada yada stop by one of over six thousand metro stores nationwide this episode of Stuff They Don't Want You To Know is brought to you by Alienware. During Dell Tech Fest, score game-changing innovations with limited-time deals on select next-gen Alienware gaming tech. New dimensions await with advanced gaming systems like the Alienware M18 laptop powered by an Intel Core i9 processor. Featuring awe-inspiring visuals, liquid cooling, three-dimensional audio with Dolby Atmos, and impressive overclocking potential. Plus, build your dream setup with great deals on select game Gaming monitors, mice, and more must-have electronics and accessories. When you shop online at Alienware.com deals, you'll have access to leading-edge gaming technology to conquer the competition and free shipping on everything. Amazing prices await you for a limited time only at Alienware.com deals. That's Alienware.com deals. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Alexis, codenamed Doc Holiday Jackson. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. It is one of our favorite times of the week. Happy February 2023, everybody. This is our first listener mail segment of the month. It's where we scour social media. We dig in through all these amazing phone calls. Uh, we talk trash off the books in these places just off the edge of the map of uh, mainstream culture. And then we come to you with some stories that we think you should know, if not enjoy, from the best part of the show, your fellow conspiracy realist, we are going to have a suggestion for an episode. That's one of our favorite things, by the way. Keep sending those. Uh, we're going to share a, a story with you that we don't want to spoil in the world of aviation. Uh, we're also going to talk about, we're going to continue our conversation about the nature of creation, the nature of intellectual property, and art and before we do any of that, we're going to share a partially redacted story from a good friend of ours, a fellow conspiracy realist who has gone, who has decided to go by the name M. So without further ado, here is M. 
Im says a couple of really nice things at the beginning of this missive, uh, but those are going to be redacted. We're not going to share those. We'll start here. Hi, Im Ben. says... <laughs> okay, that part will let out. But uh, in in uh, in this letter, M says, in a previous life, I served as an army infantry officer from 2000 to 2015. Airborne, Ranger, CIB, all the hits, all the good stuff. That's just me doing Dennis Reynolds. Uh, so M continues. Here's some pretty wild stuff they don't want you to know. The military wastes amazing amounts of money, even outside the big ticket projects like the F-35 that everyone knows about. Now, let's pause here, guys, because I think we all, we all separately at some point in our lives learned about the massive amounts of cash the military wastes. Remember those coffee cups? Those like uh, heated coffee mugs that we found out they waste. That was, I mean, this is a long time ago, but mm -hmm. that was the most frivolous and bizarre uh, example of that. It was like it had some sort of motor in mm -hmm. it. It was proprietary kind of like technology that was designed to keep your coffee hot. Yeah. And it's called hammers, a thermos, y'all, just yeah, for the right. right. Yeah. Hammers also, like your garden variety hammer you would have in your toolkit at home. Uh, toilet seats also. Uh, it's. I think those stories often break because you hear them uh, presented as evidence of corruption and graft, right? These sweetheart deals in smoky back rooms uh, where, you know, technically you're supposed to go for the, the lowest reliable bid for a lot of these things. We should do it. You yeah. know what? We should do an episode about government contracts. Definitely. Uh, Right, mm -hmm. I can't believe we haven't done that. Anyway, can, can we drop how much the F thirty five program cost and what it's projected Ooh, yeah. to cost? Oh yeah, this is the program, not per unit, right? This is no, like the overall. Okay, to develop yeah. and deploy F thirty fives, including training and all that stuff. Uh, this is what I've seen. So yeah. it was currently when I last checked in twenty twenty two. I'm gonna guess a billion, around four hundred billion dollars. Oh my, what? Mm -hmm. and I was being serious. Be. Yeah. yeah. I, I said a billion. Yeah. You're four, that's yes. an unfathomable number. It's, that it's is not insane. one plane. It's, you know, a whole bunch of planes I get across it. the entire yeah. uh, thing. But it's it was projected at, a little bit after that um, to, I think, fully cost around $1.7 or something ridiculous Jesus like that. Christ. Yeah. Now that does, that number... To be fair, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but to be fair, that number uh, factors in a ton of research design, research and design. It factors in a ton of support infrastructure because yep. when you when you look at a fighter jet, um, anytime that it's like field ready or service ready, what you're really looking at is a culmination of a lot of other projects. Iterations, so you, yeah. Right. Well, you try as you might. Sometimes you have to redesign all the stuff you ha thought you had nailed down, and it could be really small stuff. It could be <laughs> like, oh, we have, to, we have to change the brackets yeah. on this one thing, and that's another multi-million dollar problem. Yeah, but in like planes, <laughs> really small stuff can equal really big stuff. hundred percent. Yeah. Not to mention in a military situation. I'm talking about like commercial planes, you know? Yeah, the smaller it is actually, the more expensive it is to make <laughs> because of, you know, miniaturization. And you just imagine, and you know, I don't know how much of this is true. I don't have an insight directly to some general or admiral or somebody, but theoretically some high level person can get really stoked about a particular small thing like you're talking about. And oh, then yeah, the whole project, the whole thing has to be redone. <laughs>
have you guys seen this coffee mug? I mean, I, I put this coffee in there like an hour and a half ago. And look, it's still mm, it's lukewarm, but it's tepid. definitely warm. Yeah, yeah. It's tepid. Step it again. Project thermos. Tepid. Thermos has been around for a long time. That <laughs> keeps your coffee quite warm. Mm-hmm. And so let's let's get back to this email. With uh, we divert here because we wanted to uh, wanted to ask you, fellow conspiracy realists, if you are comfortable, let us know your most hilarious story of government or large corporation waste that you've seen, because everybody's got one at this point, almost no matter what industry you're in. So back to M. M says, as a junior officer and platoon leader in Afghanistan, I personally sent over $30 million worth of vehicles and equipment off to be destroyed in a nearby airfield. This was just the gear I was responsible for as a low-level officer. Uh, In 2013, the surge in Afghanistan was coming to an end, so we had orders to demilitarize our trucks and some of our larger weapon systems. Three million dollar gun trucks were disassembled and shredded. Demilitarizes means like destroy, basically. It's sort of like a buzz term. Yeah, it could mean it it could mean a couple things like um, it could be destroyed. Uh, Civilian comparison would also be like if you buy disarmed car auction, right, and you get a former police vehicle, then it's not going to have, you know, machine gun turrets, whatever. Yeah. No, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I get it. I get it. Yeah. Uh, so, so there, there are a couple different directions we go. We're not experts on this. Uh, we mainly these days concentrate on, on doing our, our little podcast and we're not actively preparing vehicles for civilian use. Uh, I think I could say that, but, uh, so, okay. M also says $2,000 machine gun optics were smashed. To be clear, we tried but failed to save many of these property items by transferring it to our garrison property book. But destroying these items were the orders we had received, disposition orders we had received, and you have to follow orders, basically. So the communicated rationale for this was that Flying these vehicles back was deemed cost ineffective. What that means is the official rationale here was that it will we will be saving money by destroying millions of dollars worth of equipment uh, versus flying it back to use it somewhere else. And that's uh, yeah. But then don't you wouldn't you have to just build more of them next time? Ah, mind reader, Matt. But this is next gen stuff, though, right? These are like the old models. So the ones they're going to build are like the new, better version. Yeah, but think about well, all the AKs that are still out there in the world that are being used. They were manufactured in the 80s or, you know, the 70s. Yeah, right. Well, that's the thing because it seems M shares a bit of our skepticism here. M says, I suspect the real reason. Uh, for this destruction is that these mechanized platforms will need to be reordered for the next conflict. Also by a private company, by the way, not to spoil M's discourse here. Uh, See the current war in Ukraine and all of the mechanized assets we are sending. This came to us, by the way, right around the time the Biden administration said, you know, YOLO, 31 more Abrams for Ukraine or 31 Abrams in general. And so is this a bookkeeping thing? Is this about like justifying expenditure and like, you know, showing progress and whatever? 
he, <laughs> I'm sorry, please. No, no, is... M can answer it better than I can. So uh, M says the mine-resistant vehicles need to be reordered from General Dynamics. Aerial surveillance assets need to be bought from Boeing. Air-to-ground munitions need to be bought from Raytheon. This is not so much a waste of taxpayer money as a transfer payment to defense contractors Jesus. and their shareholders and to our lawmakers who were, oh, wait, also shareholders in the defense industry. Ah! And so... <laughs> is this that military-industrial complex people are always screaming about? Yes, and before Eisenhower was forced to edit that speech, this is a true story, he called it the military-industrial-congressional complex. Mm. And some powerful forces made him take that, that big C out. Uh, so this, the thing that we're seeing here, and we don't want to put words in your mouth, Em, is that these things are being destroyed, right? The rationale being they're too expensive to fly back to Uncle Sam territory. But when they're replaced by another order to a private defense contractor, they're just building the same thing again. They're not necessarily next gen. So it's not next gen. Haven't they gotten their money? Right. But again, devil's advocate, haven't they already, they've gotten their money's worth out of them at this point to some degree. One must hope. Yeah, well, uh, the uh, defense defense corporations, first off, that yes, they do provide a lot of valuable stuff and research, but they also are private, therefore profit-seeking entities, first and foremost. And to pretend anything is other than the case is either cartoonishly ignorant or purposely misleading. Uh, they, they're also, um, you know, they got some sidelines and other businesses, lobbying being a huge one. Uh, that's another revenue stream. If you think about it, check out our chapter on lobbying. <laughs> anyway, so so this is and and M is cognizant of this. And remember, M has the most uh, impactful firsthand experience you could have on this, outside of being the politicians and the private corporation leaders making these backroom deals. So M continues saying, I often think of the good that could have been done back home with all of that money, like forgiving medical debt, expanding nutritional assistance and repairing failing infrastructure. Just so you know, I don't know if this will be on YouTube, but just so you know, all three of us are nodding in this sort of take us to church right on kind of way. And uh, take me to church. <laughs> so dying like a dog. <laughs> yeah. Hosier mm. aside, maybe that's what he's talking about, too. Um, I think it's M's, about sex. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I think it's mainly about sex. <laughs> but, you know, uh, M says, I think that's some heavy stuff they don't want you to know, that all the money we need to make the lives of our citizens better exist. We just choose to send it to defense contractors and their shareholders. M, the way you are writing and this story that you're telling is a story that I wish more people knew in the U.S., which was talked about more often and not relegated to the fringe of conversation. And, it, and, and from the way you write, I assume that you are also painfully aware of that Eisenhower speech, which he only made when he was on the way out. If not, if anybody hasn't heard that, do check it out. Read the transcript. Is the argument that it's just like too important to like be a little more frugal with these military budgets? I would say that's probably the argument a lot of politicians would make. Yeah, the idea is that you can you can spend all the live long day saying this is a waste of money, 
but you are doing that because that quote unquote waste of money has preserved a world order that allows you the freedom to complain in that regard. And there, there is some validity to it, but you can't be absolutist about this. There's a spectrum. You know what I mean? And it's used in rhetoric. The spectrum is uh, we are being gaslit uh, collectively, you know, as uh, taxpayers by this argument, Mm -hmm. I would argue. So M says, I have other more fun, spooky stories uh, from my time as a soldier. This I thought would be enjoyable too. And not as depressing as the reality of wide scale. (laughs) Defense grift. Uh, M says, I'm pretty sure I saw a cryptid big cat in the Panjwai district using an infrared scope. Maybe a snow leopard, but it was, if so, it was far outside its home range. And when I deployed to Southeast Asia, some of the host nation soldiers we trained swore they encountered black magic insurgents who could teleport in the jungle. But this email is getting long. Anyway, keep up the good work. Come on. Back that last statement. Yeah. For for a second, I pictured the cryptid being armed with an infrared scope, like it was some sort of like you know golden compass, like a weaponized bear. Yeah. Uh, just for the record, but no, the person writing this email observed this using <laughs> scope. And and Panjwai, just for anyone who wants to place it in the map, it is in the Kandahar province of Afghanistan. Think of Kandahar like a state. Panjwai is like a. Panjwa is like a um, a county inside a state. Uh, so that, to me, that last part too seems very enticing. M because there are a lot of stories like that, especially when people are out in the wilderness, you know, away from cities. We forget how uh, wide and wild the world is. the The nutso thing is that a lot of those stories do end up coming from people in the armed services of one country or another. And because of that, they often don't get reported as people don't want to be a laughingstock or they don't want to endanger their career prospects. That's the same reason it took so long for uh, Air Force and Navy pilots to report all the weird stuff they saw in the sky. I just think this is an interesting, this is an interesting thread or comparison here. And we would love to hear more of your cryptid stories or unusual things you saw uh, when you were deployed or if you were in the armed services officially or whatever, uh, anytime you were out off the grid or in the wild, because there's a lot of stuff out there. Uh, and I think that's where we ended today uh, with M. Thank you so much uh, for anybody else who has found themselves in a similar situation. We want to hear your stories about graft and cryptids, I guess. Uh, Stay safe out there, folks. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. I think you're so talented. Social media interactions are only positive when you use Zigazoo. Zigazoo is the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. Your kids can upload their content and see what their friends are up to. With Zigazoo, they can create videos, enter to win prizes, and try out the latest dances and trends. There's no commenting, no text messaging, and everything is 100% human moderated. Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation blogs and best edits with their friends safely. 
Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. Join Metro. They help you stay ahead of the game with nada, yada, yada. That means no contracts, no credit checks, and no surprises. Outsmarting yada, yada means, uh, you know, taxis and stuff. Shady subscriptions. Did you guys ever order something online and you thought it was just like a one-time purchase, but then you found yourself subscribed? Yeah, I had to call and stop payment on something because I had subscribed to it through Apple Pay. And even though I had like put a new card on there, it still was uh, tied to whatever card was associated with my Apple Pay. So I had to like go through this whole process of getting it pulled. It was really, really annoying. Well, that'll never happen with Metro by T-Mobile because you don't take yada yada in life and you're not going to take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada, helping you stay ahead without compromising on things you love the most. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. And we've returned with a message from Kevin with a Y. I love a good unorthodox spelling of an orthodox name. Uh, Gentlemen, I've been listening for a long time, but your latest strange news episode has finally inspired me to reach out to you. I have a number of thoughts about the pressing topic of AI art. In fact, I honestly think that this is our era's greatest creative moment. My first thought is to ask who owns the copyright for these images? Generally speaking, unless otherwise assigned by a work for hire agreement, the entity that makes the images real owns the copyright. This is true. I can speak to this in terms of like making music. You know, once you've made the thing, you own the copyright. And if you can show with like timestamp that you generated the content, it's essentially the same as registering a trademark. Um, You know, you could argue the minutia of that. But anyway, uh, Kevin goes on. The entity that makes the images real owns the copyright. In this case, it would be the actual software making the images from the prompts of the person asking the image to be created. Remember, if I asked you to take a photo of me, you own that photo even though you use my camera. That's uh, that's interesting because it would be about burden of proof. You know, who, who has the camera? You couldn't necessarily prove that you took the picture if the person that owned the camera had the camera and showed the timestamp. But that's splitting hairs. Uh, This is a totally separate conversation from whether or not the image itself includes protected intellectual property. My second thought relates to the danger of a potential court precedence relating to the idea of in the style of. 
it seems like a lot of the artist's pushback is the notion of art being created in the style of another artist, which in a way I understand how this could be troubling. However, I don't believe... Uh, and I confirm this to be the case, that you can copyright or trademark an artistic style. And frankly, I don't know that you should be able to. Imagine a world where one artist could own the copyright or trademark to pointillism, the style of stippling dots with uh, pen and ink for illustrating. Then any other artist working in that style would have to license or pay royalties to the artist that created the style. This to me is a very slippery slope. Finally, I think that creating the right prompts to create AI work could in and of itself be an art form. It takes talent to be able to create some of these images, and I think that shouldn't be overlooked as we are debating the morality of AI art. This could also finally give people who have divine creative inspiration but not the ability to make those visions real an ability to contribute their artistic visions to the creative community, not to mention the ability of this technology to create greater access to those living with disabilities. I say all this as a photographer who has been dealing with a digital revolution that makes taking photos easy for everyone. Also, as an artist, I believe that we should be paid for our creative work and that we should have some rights on protecting our work. I'm just not sure where that line between art and law should be drawn in this new frontier. Thank you for all the great work you do and for keeping me on top of what's happening in the world. Yours in conspiracy, Kevin. Okay, I'm just going to throw this to the to the room because we've been talking about a lot of this stuff kind of a lot. And we've made some of these same points our, ourselves. Like, like, what is the nature of imagination? What is the nature of what wills an artistic vision into being? And uh, I love the idea of can you copyright a style? You can't. That's why people are able to do like sound alike music. And as long as you're not, you know, ripping off an exact series of notes and meter in the exact way that another artist has done, you're not copyright infringing. You can do something in the style of, you know, Mac DeMarco or, uh, you know, any other artist, but as long as you're not actually ripping off a composition they've made, there's no law against impersonating the sound of someone's voice even. Unless you're John Fogarty and get sued for sounding too much like yourself. Well, that's its that's its own. That's right. But that's why this type of law and also like intellectual property law around music and sampling and all of the various stakeholders and these types of things is so slippery because it's tough to determine um, creative inspiration. It's not something that's easily quantifiable. But what you can quantify and what is required for legal you know, proceedings Mm -hmm. is something that you can put down on paper, like a series of notes, but you can't copyright a certain combination of instruments, let's say, or singing in a certain register or even copying the way a certain singer sounds. That is not uh, trademarkable or copyrightable. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the, the issue I think in some ways is that we're talking about two human drives that are often fundamentally opposed, the drive for profit and the drive for creative expression. So creative expression is something that all people can and should engage in. It's good for the soul, if you believe a soul exists. Uh, But the idea of profit, like profit entities are often seen as kind of corralling and codifying creative expression, not in a way that shares that with the world, but in a way that maximizes compensation for it. As you know, you know, far before 
the days of um, AI-generated art or literature or whatever, uh, far before that, uh, there were huge systems in place in the world of publishing, in almost any creative endeavor, uh, the world of music labels and so on, that maximize the profits for the people who were not creating the actual stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's important to know the system was far from perfect before this uh, new contender entered the fray. But I, I, I mean, you have to agree with the idea of compensation. Being an artist is a job like any other. You know what I mean? And people have jobs because... Hopefully they like it, but also because they need to have a job. But right? to your point, Ben, far before the uh, creation of entertainment law and uh, intellectual property law uh, was the desire for humans to express themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it wasn't until this industry kind of came in or, you know, again, like, you know, we're talking about like bards, even like in the early days of thinking about like an artist and someone that was like kept around for their skills. Um, there became a need to codify something uncodifiable, you know, something intangible, the idea of inspiration, the idea of like expression. So, you know, the expression came first. First, and, and has been around as long as people have been able to make a sound or like scratch a thing on a wall or whatever. Um, so that came first. Then came the need to figure out how to commodify it and maybe, you know, protect the rights of the artist, but mainly commodify it. Mainly mm-hmm. it's others that are trying to figure out how to capitalize on this inspiration and point. take advantage yeah. of the artists. Yeah, please. I mean, that's it. Like, that's the, uh, like, for instance, think of, we're thinking of rights. Just to take this out of AI for a second, uh, recently a musician, kind of an up-and-coming guy named Justin Bieber, uh, sold off the rights to his to his music. And the number he got, it was somewhere in the 100 millions, like 200 million or something, uh, for fans of that artist, it seemed like that was a very low number because most of them didn't realize what, what that individual was doing was sh- selling off their share of the stuff they created. They did not With own a 100%. committee. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. And and so there are many other players in the game. The diplomatic term is stakeholder. Um, but but I, I think one of the big questions then comes up here is if you are, civilization is going to have to decide sooner rather than later how they will in general treat uh, these algorithmic creation processes right does a does a uh, an algorithm or even if general ai does become a thing soon does that have legal representation does it have the same rights afforded to human creators you know what i mean because uh if if it does if it gains what you would call legal personhood as some animals have in germany as corporations uh, have weirdly. as corporations <laughs> have since citizen united uh in the us if that situation occurs then wouldn't you at least in the world of music wouldn't you treat uh machine generated music the same way you would have to treat a dj who's really good at sampling you know what but, I mean? But isn't the whole point of AI and of like, you know, robotics is that we don't have to worry about that kind of stuff. There are slaves. They do whatever we tell them because we made them. 
Well, I'm not going to be on record saying that because those guys, those guys are coming. They're listening. I'm, right I'm, I'm speaking. I'm, I'm speaking hypothetically. <laughs> right, I mean, right. you know, like, None like, of us like are saying that ourselves. Here I go back to Silicon Valley again. There's an episode where there's this incel weirdo that's creating this robot, and it turns out that he's been kind of like basically weirdly groping the robot behind closed doors. And when he gets called out on it in front of a room, he says, "I made it. I can do whatever I want with it." To which the room goes gasp, kind of, because, yeah, that's messed up sounding to say out loud, but also that's also kind of the point of AI on its base level on paper is that we made it so we can do whatever we want with it. It saves us from having to pay people. It saves us from having to worry about the rights of people because we made it so it doesn't have rights. Just say Computer. Make me a series of images of the Staten Island Ferry in the style of Kevin with a Y's nipple project. Alexa. Nipple pro? What is this? Yeah. That's yeah, on yeah. Kevin's it's website. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's the uh, KMP, Kevin Nipple Project. See, we pay attention, Kevin. I thought you were just going to say, computer, make me a sandwich. <laughs> Alexa, <laughs> Alexa, write me the great American novel. Uh, but really, again, this is something we're talking about in some unrelated projects, you know, or we talked about this in our uh, recent is AI coming for you uh, things where we brought up the idea of infernal bargains, monkey paw, uh, gin in lamps or bottles. You make wishes and you must be very specific with the wishes. Those prompts, there is a, a creative aspect to them. Yes. It is generative and it is a human thing to create the prompt. And again, okay, going back to one of our earlier discussions in that episode, uh, if a, and, and this jives with Kevin's, uh, Kevin, with your idea about someone else using your camera, right? Applying their creative aptitude to equipment that you possess. If someone borrows a pen, I'm just freestyling off our earlier comparison. If someone borrows your pen, and they write an amazing story, and it wins like a Pulitzer or a Nobel or something. Do you, as the owner of the pen, have a right to the share of that story, or does it belong to the person who created the thing, right? It, it's like if you won the lottery with a ticket that someone gifted you. You know what I mean? Similar, yeah. I mean, and look, and neither of those are necessarily 100% one-to-one analogs, but that's that's a good way, I think, to begin looking at the problem. If you, for instance, what if you go to an art show, this is for our, our artist friends, our artist conspiracy realists, you go to an art show and you see there's this exhibit, it's all by one artist, it's a solo exhibition, but all of the art has been made using something like mid-journey, and each piece is inspired by the style of a local artist in your city. And you see one painting that looks like you made it. How would you feel? Well, that would be considered bad form, but not necessarily illegal. Right. Currently, that would be bad form, but there's there's not a law against it because, or not, there's not a, a hard, explicit law against it because, as we say, technology always always painfully outpaces legislation. Well, and most of the artists that get in the style of are so famous and or dead 
that it's not the same thing. You're not worried about taking money out of some up and coming artist's pocket because it's Andy Warhol for Christ's sake or Pablo Picasso mm-hmm. or, you know, like uh, any number of other giant household name type artists who have a distinct style. But to your point, man, I love this, by the way. Um, if you're doing it with local artists and doing a local show, you are literally taking money out of their pocket, theoretically. You can't be literal and theoretical at the same time. Anyway, you see what I was saying. Guys, yeah. this is just really confirmed uh, everything that all of our baby boomer parents always told us. Get a real job. Sorry. I'm oh. <laughs> just joking. I'm just that's joking. Back, I'm totally that, joking. That, that, totally that's joking. back when there were, if we're defining real job by something that allows you to buy a house and raise children, there are far fewer real jobs. Yeah. And, and what, like forklift operator, Matt? Yes. Wait, yes. The, the yes. AI is going to do that real quick. Uh, I, I assure you. Um, I'm, so, I'm, being, yeah, I'm trying to be I know you are. I everyone and knows. it's funny. And it's, it's, but it's also like, it's scary. All of the it, it is coming for us, kind of. But also, I, I really like Kevin's perspective as an artist. It's sort of been my, and I think all of ours to a degree, perspective on this is that it's just another tool. It doesn't have to be looked at with utter terror and existential dread, even if there are bits of that <laughs> you know, sprinkled throughout it, like there are with any emerging technology. So uh, thank you, Kevin, for this um, insider perspective as, as an artist. Um, you know, and, and again, I, I've also as a musician, I've made the comparison of like when synthesizers first came out, a lot of like people in classical music were like, this is going to replace the orchestra. That didn't really happen. It just became a new tool that did its own thing and then was used by composers to, to do something different. So, but it's, it is, and it's not a, it's not a one-to-one. I see your face, Ben, and you're totally right. No, there's because a, this, I'm saying something different. There's another market though, because that, that means that there's a future market of like the artisan equivalent. Look at my human-made photograph. It's the backlash, right? right like, right. you know, again, we're talking about digital plugins and tools and, you know, music-making equipment. There is this analog resurgence as a backlash kind of to that. So it's like, oh, you you made that using a plugin? You know, that's not cool. You didn't use like a $5,000 filter and like, you know, single module, you know, as part of your giant wall of synths. Then you're not a real musician. It's about taste making. It's about like culture generation. And there's always going to be niche areas that go back to the old ways. Like I don't like digital photography. I only do tintype. You know, I only do like, you know, old school. I'm I'm being that person. I'm just saying, you know, I don't listen to MP3s. I only listen to music on wax cylinders on a Victrola. Anyway, a lot to unpack here. I think we've done a decent job of doing that a bit. We're going to take a break and then come back with one more piece of listener mail. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zigazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Zigazoo is moderated by real live people who review content before it's posted on the feed. (laughs) I especially love the dance challenges. So much fun. Oh, and there's no comments or messaging, so you don't get any of that negativity that's all over other social networks. All my friends love it. I love that it's Kids Safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Uh, that's great, but I wouldn't be doing Zigazoo if it wasn't fun. She would not be doing it if I didn't think her data was safe. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids! <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. 
Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. Join Metro. They help you stay ahead of the game with nada, yada, yada. That means no contracts, no credit checks, and no surprises. Outsmarting yada, yada means, uh, you know, taxis and stuff. Shady subscriptions. Did you guys ever order something online and you thought it was just like a one-time purchase, but then you found yourself subscribed? Yeah, I had to call and stop payment on something because I had subscribed to it through Apple Pay. And even though I had like put a new card on there, it still was uh, tied to whatever card was associated with my Apple Pay. So I had to like go through this whole process of getting it pulled. It was really, really annoying. Well, that'll never happen with Metro by T-Mobile because you don't take yada yada in life and you're not going to take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada, helping you stay ahead without compromising on things you love the most. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. Aha, we have returned, and we are turning to Snag Daddy. Snag with a G. Uh, Snag Daddy wrote us an email, and we are going to read it to you because there is quite a story in here pertaining to the episode we made about haunted aircraft. Mm. Remember Delhi, Crazy Mike? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. So here we go. Let's jump right in. Greetings. I just finished listening to your most recent episode on airplane hauntings, and a story from my coworker came straight to mind. I currently work as an aircraft mechanic for Beep Airline Company in Beep U.S. City. I work the night shift with several other mechanics. We are responsible for maintaining aircraft that stay here overnight. Our job includes changing tires, windshields, lights, and engines, to changing oil, fuel, air filters, and fixing tray tables. Anything that breaks on the airplane will repair or replace it. That includes unclogging toilets, which involve you digging in the bowl with your hand and physically pulling out whatever clogged the toilet. Fun! <laughs> You'll be surprised sometimes at what you find unclogging a toilet. It's not always toilet paper. Oof. What does that mean? It mean, you know, that, uh, well, I don't want to spoil the fun, but um, probably uh, hygienic products would be a big one. Oh, okay. I was thinking like Legos and stuff like that. That'd be way cooler. <laughs> Legos are so expensive now. You might want to just save it if you find it. I Very mean, true. wash it, but yeah. <laughs> Anyways, one night, one of our planes arrived for the night and passengers debarked. I went upstairs and met the pilots and saw if the aircraft had any issues. As I finished my scheduled task on the plane, I proceeded to sleep the plane, which means to turn it off completely. 
As I was walking out of the aircraft, a gate agent approached me and asked me if I could turn the lights back on. See, after every flight, the gate agents will go onto the aircraft and take pictures of the locks of the galley carts to ensure that people don't open them throughout the night. She was busy and couldn't do it as soon as the plane arrived. I offered to lend her my flashlight so she could see throughout the aircraft as I had other tasks to do. She accepted my offer, but only under one condition. I had to go with her. In my mind, I was confused and wondered why. Jokingly, I asked her if she was scared of being alone on a dark airplane, and she responded that she was. So I went ahead and accompanied her inside the plane. I flashed my light for her, and I asked if she had ever had a bad experience in a dark plane before. While she said no, she did tell me she gets creeped out being in a dark airplane, and then told me a story of a prior airline she worked for. Here's where it gets crazy. She explained to me years ago in the early 2000s when she worked for a competitor airline, she had an experience. A flight attendant had a heart attack and passed away on an redacted aircraft. Years after her tragic passing, she said whenever that same aircraft had a known mechanical problem or a looming mechanic issue, a passenger reading light underneath where the flight attendant sat down during her heart attack and eventually passed away would mysteriously turn on. Just to confirm here, this is saying that the exact place where that flight attendant passed away from a heart attack is where that light turns on. Just want to make sure everybody understood that. 100%. Yeah. So what happened then? Let's keep going. I Hopefully everybody else is as hooked into this story as I am. Come on. You snagged me, Dad. <laughs> That's a snag no, daddy. The old, the old dad snag. <laughs> it's a snag daddy snag. And our story continues. The light sometimes in flight will turn on by itself, and upon landing, the flight crew would report a mechanical issue unrelated to that light. She said mechanics would work on the plane at night, and that light would mysteriously turn on when they were working on a mechanical issue on that aircraft. Also, on some mornings when mechanics and flight crew would wake up the plane, that means turning on the the aircraft power, the light would mysteriously be on. Upon the aircraft being entirely powered up, the crew would encounter a fault or an issue with that aircraft without a prior history. Spooky, right? So it almost sounds like it's warning people? It sounds like it's definitely, I mean, the skeptical answer, of course, a lot of people are probably saying this, listening at home, people will say, well, check the wiring. But keep in mind, folks, Snag Daddy is a mechanic. Snag Daddy knows what uh, they're talking about here. So this is not the same as um, as just a civilian yeah. saying, hey, that's weird about the light. Uh, this is the kind of person who has the experience to accurately assess and diagnose something wonky. Yeah, but we should also know that this is a secondhand story, right? That's true. That's true. We're being fair there. This is something that Snag Daddy says as well continuing to say she claimed, the gate agent, that this was the deceased flight attendant's way of uh, doing a warning, like Mm -hmm. you were mentioning, Matt, of letting the crew and mechanics know there was an issue with the aircraft in a way of her looking out for the safety of her passengers and crew members, even beyond the grave after she passed away. And this is where Snag Daddy says, when I heard her story, I was skeptical. I still am today. I've tried looking up stories about the flight attendant for redacted airlines, but can't find any information on her. Which, okay, this is a question that I have for Snag as well, and for all of us. 
is this a, um, would it be unusual to not find that story? Like how, how widely reported are inside baseball type stuff. Right. Like, could it be something that's kept internal? I mean, even if you, if you have a person specific name sometimes, unless you really put some elbow grease into it, uh, it can still be difficult to find the circumstances of that person's death, right? You kind of have to pull some PI cards, do some social engineering at a hospital, et cetera. You'd have to imagine the only way it would get real press is if a local journalist picks up the story because somebody, you know, like this person who's telling the story is like wanting to tell their story, right? Right, Um, yeah. It's not just going to become something that ends up in a paper somewhere, Um, and also we're talking about a pretty major airline. We have used the phrase redacted when it comes to the actual airline that this person is talking about. Just, but you would have heard of them. You would. Yes. You would have heard of them. We're just keeping it out just in case for snag daddy's purposes here, uh, and safety. Uh, but if there were enough people noticing this thing happening, I feel like more people would be talking about it, but I, who knows? What I love so much about flying in general, first off, it's a crazy, amazing superpower. Mm -hmm. Good job, human beings. That's nuts. Uh, (laughs) You're you're a beast for that one, humanity. But um, something about exploration to the edges of human ability or knowledge always creates legends and folklore. And it doesn't matter how far technology goes. As soon as more people are out in the deep ink of space, we're going to see things that are very similar to World War II folklore, very similar to the ancient, uh, the old tall tales and rumors of yesteryear's mariners. Yeah, like sea monsters are like mm-hmm. running up against the edge of the world and things mm-hmm. like that. Which I, I, I think is cool. And that's not, please, don't conflate that with me saying this isn't true or that we don't believe someone because what we found in our uh, exploration of allegations of haunted aircraft is that uh, some of the things can be relatively easily debunked, right? Like flight 401 and a couple of those weekly world news stories, they they can be pulled apart and they don't hold up as well. But then there's other stuff like this that's very difficult to disprove, honestly. Mm-hmm. Or not even, I don't want to say disprove. I don't want to come off like one of those jerks who's not really a skeptic, but difficult to investigate. Mm-hmm. Let's say that way. Well, but even though this is like a secondhand story, it's obviously a secondhand story from another person on the inside with Ooh, all of the same point. jargon and like terminology that wouldn't be sexy enough to be reported on a wide scale. Um, it's a little bit uh, anomalous and kind of like mired in, in minutia of a particular industry. So unless there was like a death tied to it or some grand disappearance and then it became like sort of a clue, no one's ever going to talk about this outside of people that are in the know with in that particular industry. Yes. Um, I could not find anything on this, guys. What I could find is the same thing that Snag Daddy was able to find when they were doing research for this topic. I'm not going to give you any specifics. I just want everybody to look up Flight 243. Look that up when you get a chance. Um. It is maybe the scariest scenario I can imagine when it comes to something that could go wrong midair. 
on a passenger airline. But I'm not going to give any specifics. Flight number again for the people? Flight 243. You should be able to find it just by searching that. Yeah, so just again, everyone playing at home, we're not going to get into it, but check out flight 243. It is my nightmare now. <laughs> it is Matt's it's Matt's nightmare now. Um, so if you want to dream like Matt, check out that flight. <laughs> so uh, we also have to note there's something interesting here, which is that we don't have a timeline mm-hmm. from you, Snag Daddy. So that also... There's all kinds of information you could get to really drill down in this. But one thing that's another amazing thing about this is that we've had other people writing in with weird plane stories. I think we may have hit a little nerve mm-hmm. or we may have we may have hit some sort of metaphorical uh, call the attendant button because oh, a lot yeah. of us had some stuff on our minds. Well, well, dude, I mean, friend of the show and uh, human friend of ours, Steve Wilson, um, he reached out uh, and was very taken by this. And I've ran into a couple of people that discovered the show recently and were like, haunted airplanes, what? And Mm -hmm. it makes sense in terms of like what you said, Ben, like the ideas of exploration and like haunted ghost ships. That's not outside Mm -hmm. the realm of uh, of people's kind of like pop cultural knowledge, but haunted airplanes is somehow kind of like remarkable to people. And I think that's very interesting. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Guys, can we do one more quick mention of Haunted Airplanes from another listener? Let's do it. Yeah, Yeah. I'm excited about this one too, man. Okay, this is super fast, you guys. It's a suggestion. And as you said at the top, Ben, we love suggestions. Any episode you think we should be doing, let us know. We're into it. Yeah. Even if you think it's too weird. Yep. Especially if it's weird. We're into it. (laughs) Okay, so this message comes to us from Steve. Not the Steve you're talking about. No, I don't think. Uh, Steve says, Hello. The official U.S. Air Force Museum in Dayton, Ohio, is full of combat airplanes from the earliest days of air wars. There are a lot of stories about ghosts being seen inside the airplanes or walking around the museum. You ought to check it out. Regards, Steve. I love that. I love a good museum suggestion, Steve. That might be enough for us to that might be enough for us to uh, make up a reason. To go to Ohio, we've had people asking us to do more live stuff, and we're hoping to do so soon. Also, full confession, I'm just I'm gonna be in the air a lot more, and so that's why the the airplane thing is cool. But not, none of the three of us are, are uh, shook of flying. I think we all like it, right? I mean, once you're actually on the plane, yeah. But God forbid one bad thing happens, it could shake. <laughs> our whole, you know, right. uh, complacency about the uh, the enterprise. Because your point, Ben, who was it? I think it was Louis C.K. maybe who was talking about how, like, we're complaining about, you know, oh, yeah, the all of this dumb stuff, <laughs> but yet right. we can, like, jump into a tube and, like, you know, fly across the country. And also they have these little magic boxes that let us talk to anybody and look up the wealth of human information on them at any given time. Um some people, though, really, really hate flying. You know, oh, yeah. David Lynch uh, won't really leave Los Angeles because he just, I, I don't know, you say he, is, I think it probably usually does come down to being scared. Um, I don't want to malign David Lynch and call him like a coward or anything because I'm not, That's it's a thing. It's a deep, it should be, honestly, we're the outliers that we're okay with it, right? Yeah. You know, like, 
it seems like a self-preservational kind of impulse to be scared of uh, this kind of thing. But, yeah, you know. I mean, you don't have control over it, and and a, a phobia or a fear is a is a primal emotive thing. And what that means is that statistics aren't gonna change that primal aspect of you that's saying, "Holy crap!" No, we should be on the ground. What are you doing? Right? Like you can, again, we talked about it before, not just in that episode, but in some previous episodes, uh, you are far, far more likely to die driving a car anywhere Absolutely. than you are in a plane. But, you know, people feel, I think, often feel a little more comfort because uh, it's it's me behind the wheel. It's my mm-hmm. hands, my decisions, not some Jamoke pilot that I, I'll never meet again. And that's, that, oh, that takes us something interesting. Uh, will people, will the same people who have a fear of flying, which again is completely understandable, will that fear transfer to autonomous vehicles? Another thing that you're just sitting in that you cannot control. And technically, until all vehicles are autonomous, a much more dangerous ride. What do you guys think? Is it just heights, maybe? I don't if know. En- there's that, too, but with autonomous vehicles, if enough time passes where people forget all of the <laughs> hilarious screw-ups, then maybe it will be, like, a safe feeling. But, like, right now, we've seen so many, like, high-profile, you know, stories about autonomous vehicles doing dumb stuff. But we know on paper that if if the technology is right, it's way better than the human element because the human element is fallible and, like, makes horrible mistakes. And once they get the tech to the point where we can really rely on it, probably there will be similar statistics around autonomous vehicles. But it won't necessarily, for some, be enough to make them okay with giving up that uh, level of control. 100%. Yeah, it's going to be like how Gattaca made genetic modification a thing. They just use private industry insurance rates to make it too uh, expensive, right? It'll be too expensive to drive your own car. That's how they're going to get you. Okay. Now that I've said that's how they're going to get you, I think I got a little too conspiratorial. Uh, We might want to wrap up it um, as we do. These are great suggestions. As we do, Matt, no, I'm wondering, is it okay if um, we just read this, this Twitter poll that we started after we did strange news? Sure. Talked about gene editing. Okay. Okay. So this is a super scientific poll, which means while we took a quick, we call it a bio break on the show, well, I took a quick bio break, went to Twitter and said, if you were given the opportunity to take gene editing therapy with a high likelihood of extending your life by, say, 10 years, would you do it? The three answers are, heck no, I need a lot more info and shoot me up, homie. And uh, I think... Put it right in my neck. <laughs> just put it in my neck, you know, give me a good soundtrack. Um Right now, again, with this super scientific poll, uh, it looks like 45% of people said I need a lot more info. Only 16% said, heck no. That's for you, Matt, and for you, Doc. And uh, 39% just said, shoot me up, homie. Somebody, that's a little carpe uh, diem, isn't it? I, I think some of these people like their, what, <laughs> meat and potatoes too much? What is the thing that is bad for your heart? I can't remember anymore. It's all bad for your all heart. All kinds of stuff, man. <laughs> anything you like. Anything you like is terrible. Yeah, anything it that's uh, like pleasant. Yeah. Uh-huh. Anyway. And even that. Uh, um, they've, they, they've made advances in kale. Uh, <laughs> you know. The kale technology. Have you guessed roots and bounds? Have you heard What's that? about bacon? the lead content what? of kale? 
My wife eat a ruined kale. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That's just simply orange has a ton of PFAS in it. That's real. Oh gosh, I remember that. Yeah, is that Uh, the one with no pulp, some pulp, or all the pulp? All the simply orange. (sighs) And then every orange drink. Like every orange soda is, what is it, brominated? Um, thiamylene? I don't know. No, brom- Oh, my gosh. How am I not thinking of the next word? It's in vegetable oil? Vegetable oil. That's it. Yeah. I feel like it was, I feel like there was another Yeah, it's in, it's in Mountain Dew. Brominated vegetable oil is in Mountain Dew. Anything um, with a cloudy look to it. Yeah. yeah. And apparently brominated uh, stuff also is used for flame retardants. So there's that. That's what it, yep. Nope, you're right. So we're going to call it a day before we ruin more seemingly innocuous things Let's, that you enjoy that get yeah. you through. Well, one, I can't believe you did that to kale, like Matt. I, I put it in my smoothie uh, as like, kale, like a feel-good thing. I just so I can feel like, I know you were, I'm joking. Let's too, all head but, to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base and check out the museum yes. and we'll all feel better because it's haunted. There we go. Yes. Uh, you've got to be the haunted plane you wish to see in the world. Can we also say that in the story that you brought, Matt, from Snag Daddy, that this is a clearly kind of a benevolent ghost, right? Yeah. Right. A lot of those stories, actually, a lot of the stories we're receiving in this, what I would call this uh, era of aviation folklore, they are about someone trying to warn you. The ghosts who stay on the planes, the people who believe in ghosts, are not trying to wreck the planes because then they'd be like, Wrecking their own house, yeah. you know? Yeah, uh, or, yeah, gremlins. Maybe we should have people write in and let us know innocuous things that that have dark sides. That's always an area of interest. I don't and know. Then, and then we can send the list to Stephen King, and he can write about mm-hmm. more haunted, innocuous things. The quesadilla at the end of the road. How about Stephen King? super evil things that have, like, good intentions? <laughs> oh, God. Like kale? <laughs> like... <laughs> Kale just ruins salads. That's what kale ruins. It isn't uh, very tasty, is it? Is it? No matter how much you try, I just yeah. I know people who say they love it. They're liars. Put it in a soup. That's the most diplomatic thing. It's good in a soup. Put it in a soup with some cannellini, cannelloni. How do you say those beans? Cannelloni beans. Hide it in a smoothie where you can't taste it. That you know. Make it. Make it. um, (laughs) Make it into a shirt (laughs) and wear it around. You know what I mean? Oh, that Why is not? becoming a thing in fashion, actually. Yeah. A lot of these, like, new kind of woke fashion brands are, like, you know, making their stuff out of uh, plant matter, yeah. and vegetable matter. Yeah. Just throw okay, it so in the wash. It'll be fine. Obviously, we have uh, Throw it in the mangler. The haunted uh, mangler. You know? We've departed a little bit from Lister Mail because we're all thinking about what to eat yep. next. Hunger uh, provides. As penance. I will eat, uh, I will put kale in my daily quesadilla. In the meantime, we can't wait to hear from you folks. Come be a part of a show. Uh, You will be the best part by default. Our fellow conspiracy realists, hey, I want to be part of the show. You might be saying, uh, we hope you're saying that, but how can I ever get a chance to talk to you all? It's actually super easy, cartoonishly easy. If you've never listened to the end of an episode before, we got the scoop for you. You can find us on social media. We are Conspiracy Stuff on Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook, where we have a group called, a Facebook group is a thing. They'll be talking about that in the history books, uh, called Here's Where It Gets Crazy, Conspiracy Stuff Show on Instagram and Tickety Talk, as the kids call it. Yes, and we have a phone number. It is 1-833-STDWYTK. When you call in, you've got three minutes. Count them, one, two, three. Give yourself a cool nickname. Let us know if we can use your message on the air. It's that easy. 
If you've got more to say than can fit in that three-minute voicemail, why not instead write it all out in a good old-fashioned email? We are conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids like yours, and all content is fully human-moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency, where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals. It's not about being the best in the world. It's about doing what's best for the world. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.